Um, I'm going to take questions, but before I do, there's one final point of my message that I wanted to make that I forgot or I didn't really have time to do, and so I want to make it now. Um, it's back on the point on hypocrisy. <coughs> no matter how faithful we are, no matter how much we try to model God's word, we will be hypocrites, right? Because we will tell them, here's what God says, and to varying degrees, we don't do that, right? So what do you do with that? Well, one option is you just embrace the hypocrisy and you just, who cares? I'm a hypocrite and that's not good. You get self-righteous. The other option is you just don't teach it. You certainly don't teach things you struggle with because you don't want to be a hypocrite. That's wrong. The third option, which is the right tack to take, is to humbly confess your sin and let your kids see your own confession and repentance. Um, and I think that's a tremendously, tremendously important thing. I think we all know from experience that when people confess their sins and recognize their faults, we don't hate them for it. We don't embitter ourselves towards them. It's only when people refuse to recognize them that we struggle with that. So from a child's point of view, if, if you're calling on them to love their enemies, if you're calling on them to be kind to their sisters and their brothers, but they see you occasionally snap at your wife or the wife to the husband, but they also see you confessing that, they're not going to think you're a lying hypocrite. What they're going to get, and this is really the goal, we're all in this together, you know? And sometimes I think for fear of losing authority or losing respect or losing um, whatever, we don't want to do that. But I, I just recently had to do, he's not in here, is he? No, he's not. I just recently had to repent to my son, Zadok. I think I might have mentioned this, that he'd left the light on in the car and we were going to go to Abner's first soccer game. And the battery was dead, and so he and I had to stay behind because the rest of the family could make it in my mother's van. And I was not happy, and I let him know I wasn't happy. And even though um, I didn't do anything wrong or anything, but just my tone of voice, get inside. And I had to go back and apologize to him later and say, Daddy was wrong. Daddy was angry. He said, yeah, and I had to ask his forgiveness. But I, we need to be willing to do that. That's how we deal with our hypocrisy. When we're, we, we dare not lower the standard. The one way to... The other wrong way to deal with hypocrisy is lower God's standard to something your kids can keep and something you can keep. No, God's standard is God's standard, and we need, we need to call them out to that what God commands, what God instructs. That's what we need to call on them and communicate to them. But as we ourselves transgress, we need to acknowledge that, and we want to make it clear to our kids, hey, we're all, we're all pursuing this together. Um, now, we are your authority, and, and God's given us the, the, the charge of, of, of instructing and ordering you, and you've been given the charge, and we'll see this next week, of submitting and, and honoring and obeying us, but we're all sinners in need of grace together, and if you model that, that's how you deal with the hypocrisy factor, because there's no amount of faithfulness that won't, at some point or another, make you a hypocrite. If you're faithfully calling your kids to obey all of what God says, you will, in many and at many times, be a hypocrite. Humble yourself and acknowledge that. Um, okay, that was, that was the last point of the message that I didn't, didn't make the sermon. So questions, thoughts, um, anything blank she may have missed. Elsa. May I ask a Greek question? May you ask a Greek question? You may. Because Deuteronomy um, chapter 4, verse, no, 6 verse 4, Verse 4 is really long in Greek. Um, it's written in Hebrew. Well, the Septuagint. The Septuagint. Yeah. I am not prepared to answer that at the moment. 
What I mean is I didn't, I didn't look at, I didn't work from the Septuagint, and frequently the Septuagint is longer than the Hebrew. Um, I will, I'll make a point, though, and get back to you next week and deal with, is it a text-critical issue? Is it, the Septuagint itself is about, the Septuagint is the name of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, and it is 50-50 what Jesus and the apostles quote when they quote the Old Testament, the Septuagint. But the Septuagint is about 20% bigger than the Hebrew Old Testament. So there's all sorts of questions and issues there. So I'm not ready to go into that, but I will make a point to be ready to go into that next week rather than... So I'm going to punt for a week. But good question. We'll get to it. Okay. Um, Simeon. Oh. How would you do um, family worship with your children? There's a lot of ways like to do family. Daily? Oh. Or, yeah. Daily? Um, well, this gets back to the pattern from Deuteronomy, right? I mean, so ideally, I mean, and Deuteronomy is envisioning a scenario where you got a lot of time and access to your kids. And in an agrarian society, you do. Um, at a certain age, the kids are going to go to work in the field with the father, and at the younger age, they're home with the mom. And so they're with you when you're rising, when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're laying down. Um, and so you're, you're doing this constantly. But um, nowadays, with varying schedules, and I don't want to put some law on somebody. I mean, part, part of this is I think we're sometimes busier than we need to be. And in that case, we want to consider freeing up some of our busyness. If the reason, but some other people are as busy and working 60 hours a week because that's what they need to do to survive. And I don't want them to feel like they're doing something wrong. Um, there are some people working 60, 70 hours a week, not because they need to, but because there are certain things they want to attain or do that I'd ask them to question their value system. But you got to look where your life and your kid's life lines up. So if you're out of the door before your kids are even awake, family worship with them in the morning is probably not going to work. Um, but, I, but I think all of us need to find ways to line up more of our time with our kids so that we are getting more exposure and time and finding a time that works. So I know, I know families that it's just during dinner. You, during dinner, you're talking about God's word, or before dinner, you sing a song or two. Um, there's no biblical prescription on how it is done, but I would say it should be done regularly. You want your family to gather together and, and pray, and we get together any week there's not an elder meeting the Moors, Daniel's family, and the Moors, Jacob's family, and my family get together, and we do about half an hour, 45 minutes of family worship, and then the kids run around in the backyard and play, and we do a meal together. Um, that's a great blessing. Um, it's going to look different for different people, but I think if your heart's desire is to do it, and you're looking for the time, and you're willing, if necessary, to free up the time, then you should be able to find time. To, and i got books and resources, and I'll be happy to talk. What I don't want to do is, here's your program, here's what family worship should look like. But... It's, it's an important thing, and there's a problem. If you can find time to get your kids to you know, soccer practice every week, but you can't find time to, to gather as a family and read the Bible, your priorities need to be shifted. That's all I'm saying. And I get that there are seasons of life that are busier than others, and I get that there are things we must do, which is why I keep coming back to when push comes to shove, what gets cut? And if what keeps getting cut is Bible reading and family worship, then I would suggest that as much as you may tip your hat to saying it's important, in practice, it's not. What's important is the thing that makes the cut every time. Um, so that's, that's my, my, my thought. I don't want to make a rule or a law for it. And there's lots of tools that are helpful. 
um, that I can point you to. We, we got in our ch church bookstore in the library a couple of helpful books. Paul Tripp's Age of Opportunity is fantastic for dealing with teenagers. His older brother, Ted Tripp's um, Shepherding a Child's Heart blew me out of the water when I read it first a decade ago. And we took a number of the families to a conference up at Timberline where um, he spoke um, last year, and that was just phenomenal. That, that was excellent. There's lots of little things. We used, um, we do different phases of things with our kids. Um, for a year, we went through a catechism. And catechism is kind of a bad rap. You guys know what a catechism is? Catechism is simply a way of instruction by question and answer. It, it, it can be on any topic. Traditionally, Catholicism has always had a catechism. Don't think it's a, a uniquely Catholic device. It's just question and answer, instruction. Great way of getting information across. I mean, we haven't been using that lately, but with Abner and Sophie, we got them. I got Sophie when she was three years old, could get about 25 questions in. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things for his own glory? How can you glorify God by loving him and obeying him? Why should you glorify God? Because he loves me and takes care of me. How many gods are there? There is one true and living God. Uh, how many persons are in the one God? There are three. Who are they? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Does God have a body like you and me? No, God does not have a body like you and me. He is a spirit, invisible and eternal. Can you see God? No, but he can always see me. And it just goes on. And you're just basically teaching truth. It's great. It's great. I mean, like any of these things, they can become sort of dead, rote, legalistic things. Really helpful tool. Um, that's one method. You can just do scripture memory. You can just read. D.A. Carson talks about how um, his family would read 1 Corinthians 13 every for a month, every meal. They just read it, and before long, his two-year-old could start to fill. He'd start to fill in the blanks. If I have not love, I am a sounding gong. If I have not love, and he just pause, and she'd start. And before he knew it, she was able to do the whole chapter. I mean, you'd be amazed at the memories of children. Or you could just sing some songs. You could do it when you're riding somewhere in the car. You know, I was driving on the way to pick up my um, the drop. Driving back from the air, no, driving back from the airport, having dropped my sister Rachel off, and the CD in my mom's uh, um, car was Bob Coughlin doing some songs from T4G, and my kids are singing along to him. It's like, oh, hey, that's cool. I mean, you can make lots of time to do these types of things if you think about it. I, I really think the challenge, and when I'm neglecting this, and, and I don't want anyone to think I'm doing this perfectly. There, there are whole seasons where my wife has to come along and say, um, Jeremy, we haven't got together for a couple of days and read the Bible or anything. Um, I don't want anyone to think this is something I'm doing um, remotely even well, but I'm trying to do it, is that if you're looking for the opportunities, I think you can find them. The challenge most of the time for me is I'm not looking for them. It falls off the radar, the, other, the tyranny of the urgent. And so the challenge, and my challenge this morning is get it on your radar, look for and find places to, to plug this type of stuff in. Um, other thoughts, questions? In the back. No, 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 you've got to wait for the microphone. Um, when you're doing scripture memory with little kids, you can also pick a letter of the alphabet for a verse, like, you know, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, yeah. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and you can pick the verses that you like. Mm -hmm. When you get to X, you have to find one that starts with the word exceeding great yeah, yeah. and precious yeah, yeah. promise. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But yeah. the other thing, too, is you can, um, I use the Edgar Myers Bible story book. Mm -hmm. um, for little kids in the book Leading Little Ones to God and they're just really good books and 
Um, you can have your kids act out the Bible stories and then do the application after they act them out, too. So, you know, just doing a lot of fun things with them um, helps them to love family worship, too. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, think about it from this perspective. When God gave this command to the Israelites, there weren't Christian bookstores. It wasn't the Internet. There wasn't DVDs. There weren't mass-produced books. We have got so many resources. There wasn't flannel graph. Flannel graph. You know, like the, 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 like the, and they put the little flannel things, they move them around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have so many resources available that really, we got no excuse. We got so many resources available that previous generations have not had. Um, and again, if this is something you're interested in, um, I, others can make recommendations. The Jesus Storybook Bible, love that. Um, there's all sorts of all sorts of uh, resources we can use. I was sitting in Awana Wednesday night, and they're playing a video from Kevin DeYoung narrating. It's one of their stuff that was excellent. There's just so many resources out there that that we can we can use. Um, if you're finding yourself like I don't know where to start, there's people who've come up with suggestions. Do it in this order or whatever. That that really, um, if that's where you're at, the good news is we live in an unprecedented time of resources and helps. Um, God, the bar was set this high back when they were wandering around in the desert. Um, so, yeah. Other questions, thoughts? Really? Oh, Dave Kingery in the back. She's she's beating you to it. Yeah. Hey. I I just wondering how how has the emphasis of the church changed since the early church? I mean, does that make sense? Narrow that down a hair. Because <laughs> it sounds like what you want is 2,000 years of church history condensed. Oh, just, just how has it changed since the early church? Well, that's the, the same question. That's the same. <laughs> it's not any, that's not any narrower, Dave. That's still just as broad. Um, oh how has it changed? How, how is, In a multitudinous how, number of ways. The emphasis on preaching, the teaching, oh, okay. and that kind of thing. Okay. Has, it, has, it, has it gone? No, no. That's, that's a, okay, I think I can hit that. Um, it, it's, a lot of it is the byproduct, and there's all these unintended consequences of um, technological development. I'll just t- trace a couple. Um, once once um, instruction became something done in schools, in our country starting in the one-room classroom, um, it generally starts shifting away from parents instructing to professionals. The community would hire a professional teacher, and, and this professional teacher would handle the teaching. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying very quickly you can see how that mentality of the professional doing it shifts in. You get to mechanization, the Industrial Revolution. You get to Dewey and his whole... I mean, I'll just stop. Let me ask some questions that we all take for granted. Where and when... I'm not challenging this. I'm just... These are assumptions we make. Oh, where and when did we learn that the best way to educate people is in groups of 20 to 40 people over four-year blocks of time? That's Dewey. Where, where, where did we learn that? I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying we assume that. We just take that for granted. When, when did we learn that? How did we learn that? Um, 
Well, a lot of that actually comes out of the um, applications of principles coming out of industrial revolution and mechanization. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying that's where the stuff comes from. And the more you follow into that, the more you're going to want a streamlined professional um, approach to these things. And the ch like initially when Sunday School was created, it was precisely that. It was a school... Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have Sunday school. I'm just, here's, it's Genesis. Sunday school was a way for the uneducated and ignorant people in the community to learn how to read. And they'd come in on Sunday, and it wasn't for kids of the church people. You read the history on Sunday school. It was for the community on a day when the kids weren't in the factories, before the factory labor laws, um, they could learn to read. And the thought was, we'll teach them to read using the Bible. It wasn't something that the people in the church sent their kids to. That, that was the origin of Sunday school. Um, because it was understood even as recently as then that the discipleship of the children was fundamentally the parents' responsibility. But we've moved more and more with professionalism and with those things towards, hey, here's, here are these people who've got this training and they're really good and they're really um, skilled and let's let them do it. And what started off as, hey, we'll help, came to, we'll just do it. And then there's been churches where honestly, that's kind of the way it's, it's um, presented. Um, the, the assumption is the kids, especially in their teen years, will not want to learn from their parents. They won't want to listen to them. You need to bring this third party in. And that third party due primarily to influence and relatability, which, I mean, think about this. If you're going to hire, oh, oh, oh. you guys hired me as an associate pastor to minister to kids. I didn't have any kids. There's some fundamental questions. I'm glad you did. <laughs> We're here, but 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 that's the thing. So who do the churches bring in? Who do the churches traditionally bring in as the specialists for youth? People who've 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 put five six kids through their home and are flourishing in life? No, you know, the dude with the soul patch who's you know got no kids. But but what's the assumption? Relatability and influence. I'm, I'm not even. Am I remotely stereotyping? This is so true. It's not even funny. Um, no, I, this is. I'm totally stereotyping, but it's totally true. I'm not stretching in the least. And there's no exaggeration in what I'm saying. And well, and but but the underlying philosophy of that. This is a long answer to Dave's question, but it's a good question. Is we stopped believing in the power and authority of God's word, and we started believing in the power and in, of influence. And, and relatability. And so the number one value is you got to bring someone in who the people relate to. You got to bring someone in who they connect with and they think is cool. And so you got these like 40, 50 year old guys trying to talk about being hip. I was watching a video of someone's church, you know who, and he must have said he was stoked like eight times. And it's just, there's this, like, dude, you're trying too hard. It's okay. But clearly, this person's convinced I've got to speak the lingo. I've got to come across as hip and relevant so that people will relate to me and they'll listen. And I, I don't see that in the Bible. I mean, I'm not saying relevance is being, being relatable is bad, but people chase after it like it's the number one most important thing. Biblically, I think you'd have a hard time defending that. Um, Paul makes the point that whether you're Apollos, trained in Greek rhetoric, or whether you're Paul, who stutters, neither one of them is responsible for the growth. God makes things grow. One plants, one waters, and it's God who makes things grow. Um, as long as both men are handling the word faithfully, whether they're the most skilled orator, or whether they stumble over what they say, if they're speaking truth and it's God's word, the possibility for growth is equal. And the result of the growth is God, not the eloquence of the speaker. The best thing I can hope for is I'm throwing seed out well. 
People aren't going to get more sanctified because I did a more eloquent job doing what I do. The best thing I can hope for is that it's clear, it's understandable, and I'm not tainting it. Beyond that, God makes things grow. So when you stop being confident in that, you start being confident in other things. And so the emphasis came to <laughs> professionals. Um, the emphasis came to be re- to these these people who the fundamental things they got to be relatable. They got to they got to look like and act like the kids. And and so by and large, the wealth of our culture. I mean, this is another thread. And Dave, you asked a great question. I'm just gonna. If I run on too long, let me know. You realize it's only in wealthy cultures where you have the notion of leisure time, right? Like that's, that's again, another first world concept, and it's a relatively new concept, leisure time. And so America is, um, is one of our biggest national products is entertainment and things for leisure time. So we've got an economy that's largely focused on that. Guess what? We can fill up our leisure time. And so it's really convenient for me to, you know, drop my kids off somewhere. Someone else takes care of the professional takes care of it, and I can do other things. I'm not saying that that's always wrong, but those are the forces that move towards away from family worship. Our times get more and more filled up. Our schedules get more and more tightly packed with things. And so the notion of taking an hour or 45 minutes um, to, to read God's word and pray and maybe sing a song together seems, compared to the other things we could do, boring. Um, I mean, can't we put that on a DVD or something or make a video game about it? You know? um, and it takes a lot of time. And it's not as, you know, it's, for all those purposes, I think that's how the church has moved away from that. But if you read any church history, family worship um, and, and parents catechizing and instructing children has historically been a huge issue and a huge issue of concern for the church. Um, this is really, this new shift is really something in the last hundred years or so. Does that hit on what you wanted to hit on, Dave, or do I need a bigger answer? Good Donna, pass, pass the mic to Donna, because she wants to piggyback off of that, or not. I don't know if I should say this. My daughter watches the Pickers, and it was on uh, last night, and this guy has all these, um, what do you call those? Machines. <laughs> you play on, and you press the buttons. And... For those of you listening at home, she's making hand gestures. You know what I'm talking about? Those machines, they play the games and I don't. they're old ones, they're old ones. Anyway, it's had them since 1982 and three generations of youth go go there to meet. He, he, arcade or, arcade games, okay, yeah, yes, like I'm that. with you. The old ones. Okay. But I just thought, you know, this relates to this because it's, um, it was so neat that this man is using all these old machines to have kids come in and have a good time and Christian fun and stuff like that. It's Christian-oriented. And uh, anyway, I just thought of that. I don't know if it's relevant or not, but <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. Well, no, it is. And okay, let me, let, me, let me see if I can sort of agree and disagree at the same time. Now, there's a sense in which you got to earn a hearing, right? So, so when people, like, okay, we talked about the myth of influence. If we could get, I don't know, Chuck Norris or whoever, whatever. <laughs> to show up. There's a sense in which Chuck Norris is going to draw a bigger crowd than I would, or Zeb would, right? No, yes, right? You fit with me? Fair enough. If we got, you know, Alec Baldwin, whatever, whoever the, no, no, Billy, Alec's not. Billy's the, the professing Christian of the Baldwin brothers, right? I said that carefully. He's going to pull much of a I, Okay. <laughs> Steven, sorry. Okay. Or whatever Christian celebrity you want, 
is could potentially going to pull a crowd. And there's a value in that. I mean, we get even that in the, in the New Testament, the miracles gathered crowds so that at Pentecost, when they're speaking in other languages, a great multitude of people gathered, right? So, so, so I'm not saying all attempts to, to get attention to is bad. Now, those are usually connected with evangelism, not discipleship, however. You don't see the early church services like that. You know, hey, everybody, we're going to play paintball and worship the Lord. It's not, it's not the way things generally went. Um, but, on the other, but on the other side is this. Whatever you draw people with is what you have to keep them with. And, and we, we live in a day and age where we've got an old book, an embarrassingly old book. Its newest portions are nearly 2,000 years old, right? If what I draw people with, and, and this is where it gets dangerous and where it gets tricky, there's a, a church service a couple miles from here. Where they got a youth program where the youth come in, they play an hour and a half of state-of-the-art video games, drink from a coffee bar, then a rock band gets up. And not that you can't worship God the rock band, but you'll see the, cons- the consistency of theme. And they got their own, the youth have their own building. They're separate from the church, their own building. They play state-of-the-art video games for an hour, an hour and a half. Then the rock band comes on, and then there's a message, and they play some more video games. Okay? What's, what, you're really going to tell me that people are going to think it's all about a book? I don't think so. I, I, or at the very least, I think you've got a lot of forces working against that. Um, when the emphasis seems to me, in my mind, fundamentally, video games, the things I'm interested in, the things I want, and in large part, I'll put up with this to get the other stuff. That's what I'd imagine would happen. Pinball. All right. Awesome. Pinball. Pinball wizard. So, no, no. And so here's, so here's the thing. There's a balancing act, right? I get that if you want people to come in the first place, there's something you've got to offer them they're interested in. And if what you're doing is evangelism, outreach and evangelism, I think it's much more valid to consider how could I draw on believers here. I mean, we've done a tractor show here before and other things. But if you're dealing with people who claim to be Christians, you shouldn't have to bait and switch to get them to read the Bible. Fair enough? You're telling me you're born again. The person who wrote this book lives inside of you. Like a newborn infant, you hunger and thirst for this, but I can't get you to show up unless we're going to play video games for an hour first? I don't think so. And the problem, I, I'm just, so I'm mainly complaining against attempts to disciple children that bait and switch. And, it, and that's, that's not the way things should be. If you're truly a Christian, if, you're, if your profession of faith is credible, you should have an innate desire now, maybe you don't know how you're handling this, and maybe you need help working through it. And that's not to say there isn't place for fun and for games, but if it's, the more it starts to look like a bait-and-switch, the more uncomfortable I get in approach to discipling professing believers. Follow-up, yes. Is it on? It's on. I think um, it was... A- I don't know what else they do there or anything, but it was a place for kids to go, an alternative. No, no, and, no, yeah. and, and as far as it's that, that's all good. I'm simply yeah. focusing on one... Str- yeah. near, and if it's purely outreach, if the notion is purely... Um, if the notion is purely we want to draw unbelieving children and preach the gospel to them and you want to use video games, I'm not saying a word against that. That's fine. If you think an appropriate thing to do with people who name the name of Christ and claim to be his church is to do that and call that church, I have a problem with that. that that's what I'm saying. So I want to distinguish between evangelism and discipleship. Part, part of the problem, I think, with a lot of youth programs is there's no distinction between the two. 
And, and in fact, when I first came here nine and a half years ago, that was one of the questions I had is, look, biblically, I think we can study and figure out how does one evangelize? And biblically, I think we can ask the question, how does one gather as the church? What types of things ought we to do? I have no idea how to simultaneously do both. And I think the problem with a lot of programs is they're trying to do both, and they're doing it poorly. If you're going to evangelize, this is evangelism, it's evangelism. It's evangelism. And I think we can biblically develop a model for how to do that. But if we're gathering people who claim to be their Christians, and the songs we sing are using all those first-person pronouns, we love you, we adore you, then you're telling these people they're Christians, Right? If all the songs you put up aren't you, 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 but me, me, the psalms that say me, 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 but the, if, if I'm putting in the mouths of other people words of my love, my adoration, my trust, my belief in Christ, am I not communicating to those people that I'm encouraging to sing those songs, they're Christians? I think you are. So if, if what you've got in all your songs are we love you and we adore you and we're going to follow you and no matter what, we're going to, okay, then, then it's... Is that evangelism? I wouldn't be singing those songs at an evangelistic rally because I'd be helping people lie, right? Right? And that's one thing about some of the songs like Holy, Holy, Holy. No matter who sings it, it's true. You ever stop and think, whoever, no matter who's singing it, Satan himself is singing it, it's true because it's about who God is. And so I, I would much, so if we're doing evangelism, I would much more shift the content of the songs to songs that are true regardless of the state of the singer than songs with all the first-person pronouns that wholly depend upon where I'm at. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go to events and like I've done, I've done partnership with other churches and go to events and it's just entirely confusing. Okay, is this evangelism? Is this discipleship? What is this? I don't think we're doing either terribly well. Okay, I went off on a huge tangent. I'm sorry. And um, who's the next person with their hand up? Yeah, no, no, no. Somebody else had their hand up first. Okay. Okay, El Elsa, and then, or, or actually, we're going to go out of turn, because you had your hand up first, Elsa, but we'll let Kathy Hardy go first. Oh, they both have a mic. Elsa, go. You had your hand up. Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Who's going, who's actually, okay, we need to figure this out. <laughs> who's on first? On okay, hers. piggyback, Kathy. Okay. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, what's the, who's the author of that book, Entertaining Ourselves to Death? Neil Postman. Okay. So that's an, an important book. But I just want to uh, put into people's um, ideas that, you know, um, I had a music educator tell me this years and years ago. You know, don't, don't give children things that are beyond their age. Keep them, you know, at their age level. And so the same thing I would say with children in, in technology. You know, you don't really need technology when they're children. You don't need that. You can do all of these things yourself and they need to learn to be able to do things too and you know as you add some of that stuff on you know either video games or whatever um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not sure I get that with you know family worship I don't get that but but like you know watching um, movies or videos uh, with Christian things you don't need a lot of that stuff what they need more is the scripture and your heart really um, you know, just you're living in Christ yourself. And so you're, mm. when you're talking about these things, it's coming from your heart and they can see that. And then you can pick things that are fun for them to do, um, like role playing and, um, you know, memory games, matching, singing songs, oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, you know, go to that stuff sparingly, that other, that technology stuff sparingly. And then as they get older, 
you know, just, um, you know, do more exciting songs. But I think, I think children, are, you know, I see this a lot teaching at a Christian school in our school, you know, the, the kids can't have phones or anything in the school, even the high school. But, um, you know, they just need calmness mm. and they need peace. And, right. and uh, they just need to learn to slow down a little bit. And so doing that with young children is really good. Yeah, let me let me piggyback. By the way, if you haven't ever read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, it is probably one of my top non-Christian books I'd ever recommend. What do you mean by non-Christian? It's not an attempt to be biblical. It's just Neil Postman writing his observations of how technology affects things. It is it is enormous in the way it's affected my thinking. One of the things he points out in the book is that various means of communication are not neutral. They, they, um, they favor various skill sets. And so if you stop and think, you're going to want your kids to develop the skill set to read. Why? Because God has revealed himself in a text, right? And no matter how much better our Christian movies become, and they've got a long way to get better, no matter how much better they get, they'll never replace this. In other words... Um, in other words, if your child is going to know God and know him better, th they need to be a, a reader, right? They need to understand how to read and how to think through verbs in a sentence. They may not have to consciously know how to parse and, and, and diagram a sentence, but God has revealed himself linguistically, and your, the glass ceiling of how well you can know God this side of eternity is going to be your ability at language. That's going to be one of the limiting factors. That's, that's one of the reasons why I strongly believe people need to read the Bible in as accurate a fashion as they're able. So we do need Bibles with third grade reading levels because there are people that's as, as good as their linguistic skill is. But if you've got a 10th grade reading level, you've got no business reading a third grade reading level Bible seriously as your serious Bible. You, you should be reading it to the highest degree of its accuracy because you want to know God and want to know what he thinks and want to know his thoughts after him. Um, so if you're thinking of your kids and wanting to develop that skill, and that's not optional. I remember, I remember eight or nine years ago talking to a Christian parent here, and they were telling me that their kid just really didn't like reading, and they weren't saying it to me as though that were a problem. It was just kind of like there's different types of kids, and my kid just doesn't like reading. And I, and, and I think I might have put my foot in my mouth and said, I don't think Christians are allowed to not like reading. Like, 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 I don't think that's a, what I mean is I don't think that's just, oh, geez, it's like, you know, I'm just one of those Christians who, you know, steals or whatever. Like, no, like, if what you mean is this is a struggle and I'm weak in that, okay, great, we can help. But if you're saying, oh, no, no, you don't understand, I'm just not a reader. What you're saying is you don't understand, I'm not someone who wants to know who God is. Um, or you'll always be a second-hander, you'll always rely on somebody else who read it and then told you what it said, um, or the movie version, or whatever. And, um, and trust me, you don't want to go there. Um, and so getting back to your question then, if that's what you're thinking, ultimately, I want my kids to be readers who can ultimately read the Bible, then all the skill set that goes with reading comes with it. What does it take? And this is the type of stuff Postman talks about. What, what is the skill set required for reading? You've got to be able to sit still, right? You've got to be able to track a thought for an extended period of time. 
You gotta develop abstract thinking. You gotta be able to suspend judgment so that a writer can say something and come back and deal with it later. You gotta interact and ask questions of it. You gotta be able to focus along this thread. Okay, and then he contrasts that, not saying he thinks TV is bad, but just showing how the skill set that TV develops is entirely in conflict with the reading skill set. TV is now this, now this, now this, now this, now this. What's the average length of a camera shot before they changed it on a television program? Three seconds. It, it, it breeds um, um, juxtapositions that are, are so radically unfathomable that the fact that we don't even notice them is shocking. I mean, think about this. You will watch on the news, in order, um, killing in Cambodia, um, the world's largest puppy, um, and a drought over here. And, and, and the fact that we are able to make those shifts of gears, now this, now this, now this, without even noticing, it should be frightening. I mean, imagine... Imagine a tornado came through Martinsdale and we gathered or hit the church and we gathered the next Sunday to find out who is missing, who is alive, who is injured. And as we're gathering here in the ruins of this church and we're dealing with who's dead and who's not, I were to pause and say, um, I, we got more to say. There's some more people who are missing. But first, um, Bob's used car lot would like to have a few words for us. And he got up there and he said, hey, everybody, if I got a deal for you. <laughs> you, you would just stand there and rank unbelief. The cognitive dissonance of that type of juxtaposition would be unfathomable. And we sit through that every day. Every day. And not saying it's right or wrong. What's so big about Postman's book is we don't notice it that we're doing it. And he's just arguing, not that you shouldn't watch TV, but be aware of how different mediums affect different things. All that to get back to saying, if what, what video games and TV do is it's constant stimulation, it's constantly now this. If you feed on that for long, you're going to have a really hard time sitting down with a really dull, boring book that doesn't even have pictures. Right? Do you see how a constant diet of the one is actually going to work against the other? So my kids watch TV. We just try to limit it um, and not make it unlimited. My kids even have access to our old, you know, um, our old iPod playing games. It's like 10 minutes a day at most because we want to limit it because I'm aware of how the two play against each other. And, and I've seen seasons where because Serena has been sick or, or whatever, we've let them watch more TV. One of the things I've noticed, if you let them watch too much TV, they start to lose delight and joy in all their activities. It becomes totalizing. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't want to go outside. The second I notice that, okay, no more TV. <laughs> If you can't have fun playing outside, if you can't have fun playing with your Legos, if you can't have fun reading a book, you're watching too much, at least in our household, you're watching too much TV. Because these things are not neutral and because they pull and tug on each other. Um, anyway, you can read Postman's book. I just did a big commercial for it. I'm sorry. But um, Elsa had a question and we're running short on time. Oh, no? Yes? Oh, Linda will take it. I'm not really going to ask a question, just a kind of follow up on what you were saying. <laughs> Is that allowed? Is that okay? Sure, go for it. Go okay, for it. so I was listening to R.C. Sproul last night, and he was talking about the rich young ruler. Yeah. And he was kind of equating that with evangelism today and how mm. you don't go in and hear anyone saying, this is what it's going to cost you. Right. You know, from that point of view, like it may right. cost you your family. It may cost you... And, you know, about the hating your family, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And, but you don't go to those events and hear yeah. the person standing up there saying, I'm here to tell you this is not a, you know, 
best life now thing. This is going to cost you something. And are yeah. you ready to pay that price? Right. No, and that's no, and that's that's stuff we need to do too. Um, we, this is part of why it's important to teach all of what the Bible says, not your selected passages. Um, you know, one of the things we got to do is let the law have its work on our child's hearts. I, I think all too often, if you read um, <laughs> "Children Desiring God," it's got a great little pamphlet brochure on, on how to evangelize children. But one of the mistakes they suggest we frequently make is that the first sign of conviction, because no one likes to see a kid unhappy especially your own. No one likes to see that. The second your kid shows the first sign of conviction, you rush in with, and Jesus is the answer. And they were saying, why don't you, hold on, let the law do its work, you know? Um, let, let them chew on that so that maybe, you know, and they were just talking about a curriculum for like churches and Sunday schools. So one week, sin and what God's going to do to people who sin and give them a week to sit on that. You know what I mean? So I had, um, none of my kids are in here, right? Okay. <laughs> I had Abner come up. He had a bad dream. And as I was talking through his bad dream, it was about a couple months ago, he was afraid he was going to die. And I said, okay, why are you afraid of dying? Because I'm afraid I might go to hell. I said, that's, that's rational. That's good. You should be afraid of going to hell. And he said, yeah. And I said, yeah. And he sort of sat there for a minute. And I said, you know, you don't have to go to hell. You, you, you want to talk about that? No, not really. I said, okay. Go back to bed, but... Be scared. <laughs> and I didn't say it in joke. No, my point was like, no, fine. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go there if you don't want to go there. You're right, and you're not scared nearly enough. And that led to some future conversations. I, I, I have no doubt. I mean, this is the dangerous thing with kids. I have no doubt I could lead all my kids in some sinner's prayer. But where he was at at that point was just a fear of judgment. For whatever reason, maybe he was tired that night. He wasn't interested in talking. I'm like, you don't have to go there. You, there is another alternative, right? You want to talk about that? No, no, not right now. Okay. But then I don't want to minimize it. Okay, so you want some hot chocolate? And yeah, be afraid of hell. It's like, no, you, you. But but while you're while you're not willing to talk, while we're not going to the next step, you're right. You should be scared. Have a good night. <laughs> uh, and, Sleep well. Don't don't die. Um, I used, no, I used to have uh, I used to have a professor at college, Montoya, who'd always said he'd be witnessing and something. I don't want to hear it. He's like, okay, I'll talk to you later. Just make sure you don't die. <laughs> what? You could get away with it. You could get away with it. Okay, our time is just about up. Um, we'll be hitting some more of this next week, and then just a reminder. For the six weeks following this series, instead of doing our normal sermon discussion, because I'll return to Luke 9 in two more weeks, Daniel will be up here, and he will be leading, and I'll be helping a six-week series. So that'd be a time, if you haven't checked out Dave Lample's class, you could, um, or you could have more fellowship in the coffee room, or you could sit through that. Um, But that will be in here for the six weeks following, and then we'll go back to Luke. So just a heads up with that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll still do this, the prayer request, although I'll do a more truncated, or not truncated, a more, with more alacrity. We'll, we'll be for, we won't, we'll try to do it quickly. So he can start by quarter till. Um, so that's the plan moving forward. God bless. Have yourself a blessed Lord's Day.